What's up? What's up? We have got a great guest today, Elizabeth Grizzard. She is an entrepreneur, mom, wife, author, and speaker. And if any of you know what microblading is, she is going to help and hook you up. So stay tuned. We get into an amazing conversation. You don't want to miss this. Welcome to The Last 10%. This podcast dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Your host, Dallas Burnett, is the founder and CEO of Think, Move, Thrive, which exists to create cultures that others envy. His secret is learning from the best. Listen as Dallas's guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you're in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock that last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Hello, hello, hello. I am in my 1905 coat brothers barber chair in thrive studios and i am so excited to have elizabeth Rizard with me on mic today and she is like i said an entrepreneur mom wife author speaker and microblading extraordinaire so hey elizabeth what's going on hey hello how are you very good. I'm so, so thankful that you could be with us on the last 10%. And one of the cool things, and it's always fun to interview someone and have a conversation with someone that we know. And it was awesome because we got to meet and work together at the last leadership summit. Elizabeth was one of our keynote speakers at the summit and just did a fantastic job. So thank you for that. It was a fun time. That was, that was, yes. And thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So, Elizabeth, you've got a book, amazing book. My wife actually would read this uh, to the girls at night when they were going to bed. Just an amazing story. We'll get into that in a little bit. You're an entrepreneur. You started a company. You sold a company. Now you start a new company. I started Nails by Elizabeth. And then now I move on to eyebrow microblading. I'm a dude. And you were giving me some like information before of why I don't know what this means, but you said the lady, <laughs> they know what microblading is. So tell me, what is microblading? Microblade is like semi-permanent, a hair stroke, sort of like tattoo, but it's semi-permanent. It's not, it doesn't last that long like tattoo does, but it gives a woman that don't have eyebrow or already have eyebrow enhanced their you know, thickness and the look. So they don't have to pencil in every day. My husband will tell all the ladies, no brainer. No brainer. Oh, <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. If you're out there and you're in the North Carolina area near Tryon, North Carolina, Elizabeth will hook you up with a no brainer solution to whatever you need as it relates to microblading, specifically your, your eyebrows or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Right, right. I can do eyeliner, lip, brown. So pretty much beauty. All the lady needs beauty. Eyelashes extension, you name it. You name it. I love it. That's so awesome. I want to talk a little bit tonight about 
your story and, and let our listeners hear some of what you've experienced and your perspective on things. Before we jump into that, you know, I would love for you to talk about what is it about that you're wanting to get out there? What makes you so passionate to want to share? I mean, you know, you wrote a book. I know how hard that is. I know it's not easy to write a book. It's a lot of work, a lot of effort. What drives you to want to share your story? My country and America are totally opposite world, different world. Our life, our government, our freedoms are not the same as United States. So when I have a good life, now I'm living the American dream. I have all this opportunity and freedom of choice. I wanted to let every single American out there know that anything is possible. We have that power, that opportunity. We live in the country that allow us to do all we want to do. There's no limits. And I just love America. I love it because this is like my new life, my new land. I die and reborn except not in the same country. I'm in America now. I'm going to leave the American dream. That's so cool. And I think that's it comes through so clear in, in your story. And one of the things that we like to talk about in the last 10% is mindsets of people who live in that last 10%, who give the type of effort and spend the type and are not afraid of the type of growth that it takes to get to this level of high performance and creating something special. And what I love about your story is that your perspective is so just transparent and open about the opportunity that you have. And it's just an amazing amount of gratitude that you have in your story. And so just having that attitude of gratitude is something that I've seen is, is a commonality through a lot of people that live in the last 10%. And so I wanted to bring you on to the last 10% just to share that story. So you're a daddy's girl. You've told me this before. You're a daddy's girl. So I'm a daddy's girl. Yes. <laughs> so tell me about your earliest memories and, and let's go back to the start and just kind of tell me your earliest memories about your dad and kind of what you guys were in and what he decided to do about it. My daddy back in the 69 was one of the soldier. That time was very, the war is left and right, all the neighbor country like Vietnam, Cambodia. It just, he was in that kind of situation. And with the time that sometimes he left home, he left his family and he's out there fighting. So my dad and I did not really get to bond until daddy came home for good, like in the 70s. After that, whatever daddy do, whatever daddy said, I want to be just like my daddy because he is so smart. To me, my dad can do anything. I call him the jack of all trade. And my dad have a personality where do it. Don't walk backward. Once you take a step, do not take a step back. Always step forward. You have to try everything. And daddy served when he was in the army. He served with the U.S. soldier. So I guess his fellow soldier was telling him about the America. And how great America, how 
the life in America will be a lot better. And he just pictured that in his head. And he just thought like one day, one day I am going to take my whole family, my children to America. America, the number one country in the world. He always tell us that. Daddy just have it in his mind. Seems like he have picture, draw a picture, a map to America, and he didn't give up. He just like, we got to go to America. It's almost like he could see it. And you were saying you didn't really have a picture. You didn't even know where it was on the map. And your dad is having these experiences with these soldiers. And, and he's coming in contact with these people from all the way on the other side of the planet. And he, through his experiences with them, just decides like, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. I can see it. You know, it just um, amazed me the way he thinks. I'm a parent. You are parents. You know, the situation like that, we were in a very hard situation when our family was taken to the concentrate camp. This is back in the 80, 82. We were there two years. In 1984, that's when my dad woke us all up and said, let's go. I mean, the man have already set his mind that I'm going to America and we're going to take his five-month pregnant wife and five other small kids on our foot. You know, he is so brave. I just don't see myself doing that. If I have to escape the communists to save my children's future, I don't know if I will be that brave enough to do it. I don't even have a direction, a GPS or a compass, which way is America? Start from scratch. So now you just dropped a lot. You were living in a concentration camp with brothers and sisters, you know, five kids, you've got your mom is pregnant, five months pregnant, and y'all are all in a concentration camp and have been there for some time. And then all of a sudden, two years in, your dad, what happens? He comes in one day and says, we're out of here. How do you leave a concentration camp? So my dad and my mom, I'm sure, have been planning to escape this whole time. But for us, for me, I was only nine years old. So early in the morning before anybody is even awake, mom and dad already put one of the little one to sleep by some kind of, they got hold of a sleeping drug that they gave to the two little one. That way they won't cry during the escape. We got on our foot, walked through the wood. I mean, I sometimes I walk with my eye closed and, you know, you feel like you're dropping big step every time. But daddy said, we're going to go to America. So we walk and walk through the river, over the mountain, over the wood. We don't even own a shoe. We don't even have a flip-flop. So we have a pair of, we call it salon wrap that mom might get some material and wrap us. And, you know, it got wet when we crossed the river. It got dry when we keep on walking. You know, we finally made it to the road where daddy got the bus ticket. And uh, here we go. We're away from the concentrate camp. All day. All day. All day. All day. Morning till late night. Because when we got to the city where all the bus station and all that, we thought we were like, okay, we're moving here, you know. And I was like, okay, is this America or what, you know? We don't know. I don't know because I don't hardly see a car. You know, that's one thing that I said that I wanted to get this story out is because in America, we take a lot for granted. So 
that's why I wanted to, you know, share this story. When we came to the city, I saw a light, I saw a car, but it wasn't nothing like we're in America. But it was still, you know, when we got there, it was dark. So I don't really see a lot of things. Like everybody's already gone to bed. I didn't never thought we were escaping. So I, I was wondering where everybody is. But I guess we have to do it when everybody's gone to sleep. I remember coming to the house that night to a woman and a man. I guess they're a couple. They were already preparing a boat for our family. They're going to take us to the Mekong River. Put it on a little canoe that barely fit us. You mean, mom's five and pregnant. She probably weighed less than 100 pounds. All five of us holding hand, right but in between mom and dad. With a couple help that my dad had hired. It got scary. That's when I realized that there is not normal right here, you know. You know, when I see guns, when I see... Men's with gun and whispering and no sound, no noise. I started to get scary. So these are guys that are just, these are not soldiers. These are just some guys that he's, your dad's talking to. They're carrying weapons and he's negotiating this deal with them. They might be an ex-soldier, but they were there to help us escape. So if there is anything else, I guess they're supposed to protect us, but their job was to help us escape that night. Did you ever talk to your dad and figure out how he met? Because these were people far away. You'd been walking for a long time after leaving the concentration camp. How did he know that they were going to be there and he could get their help? So sometime between those two years in concentration camp, my daddy worked a lot and Trey trying to steal some stuff that he make and sell. Maybe sometime drain a little bit gasoline, try to hide some money that he can hide these people. Believe it or not, you know, we don't have cell phone. We don't have anything electronic, but they communicate by telegram. And it's as simple as writing a note, hand it to some guy that you can trust, I don't even know how you know you can trust him. And then, hey, can you send this note to the bus? And it go by bus. A person that has said, hey, you go to this bus line. Where is this bus going? Is this bus going here? Here. Here's a letter. Will you give to so-and-so and so? And it just pass it on, hand to hand. Oh, wow. Two years, he's just passing notes and telegrams back and forth. Right, right. So all of this were prepared. My dad never leaves the concentrate camp. Isn't that amazing, though? You know, because right now we can't even survive if we leave the phone at home. I got to go back and get my phone. He sets all this up using telegrams, not leaving the concentration camp. So he's negotiating with these two guys with weapons and trying to get them to take you with a boat and get you to the river. So what happens? What happens next? So I think the plan was for those two guys, they can have the boat, even though we pay for the boat, they can have it if they just drop us off on the other side of Mekong River, which is Thailand. As we were walking that night, we were walking in between those two men and then our parents. When we got to the river, the canoe was already there. One paddle, tiny little canoe. Mom climbed on the boat, the canoe pushing all our kid in between it. There's not much room left. So my dad, for some reason, this man have a very good instinct. He doesn't feel comfortable. He doesn't feel good. He doesn't feel like 
these men can be trusted. For some reason, he said to them, "Here, here's your money. Thank you for all of this. You can just help push this boat off the shallowness, and then we'll I'll take it from there." And they keep saying, "Are you sure? Are you sure, brother? I can help you know." And my dad just, for some reason, he said, "No." His instinct tell him that no, he he will do it. And they push us out of the shallow water. My dad start paddling the canoe. Here we go. The moon was so bright, shining on our boat, and it's like the path for us. My daddy was paddling the boat against the currents. There is certain spot that he didn't want to go in Thailand. He just wanted to. Go the other way, so he's paddling against the current. It's very hard for him, but he so far did it until we got to the middle of the Mekong River. Then that's when my mom start feeling the water coming into the boat. It was already making our seat wet. Half of our body was already wet because we tiny little thing. I mean, it's so close to be sinking. My mom start crying. Oh my God! Oh my God! We are going to die. My children is going to die. God help us. My mom and dad. It's Buddhism, so they God, whatever they call it, whatever they believe, they calling onto their angel to help guide this boat. And my mom was just so scared, and she just panicking. She just crying, talking, yelling, and my dad. He's so calm. I mean, this man is. He's so calm. He told my mom. He said, "Honey, honey, calm down. Take your shoe out. Take your flip flop out. And if you can find the water where it come from, you tell me. You know." And when she did, my dad said, "Can you just put your heel against that where the water pressure come in, just so you can slow down the water? And then at the same time, you take your flip flop and." Flop the water out of the canoe, and at the same time, he was paddling. I love your dad's attitude there because you know he just seemed, he just seemed like he was you know so calm and collected. You know, he just is all the stuff's going on. You're in the middle of the night. He's paddling. He's the only one with a paddle. Pregnant wife, kids are in a boat that's literally sinking. As you're escaping a concentration camp, and he's. Just got the wherewithal to be like, yeah, just you know, find, put your heel on the hole, hole, and use the flip flop to kind of get the water out. And it's just like I'm still doing it. I just, I think that's such a cool picture of just determination. You know what I mean? Just like you said earlier, you don't walk backwards. You just keep moving forward. You take a step forward. You take another one. You just don't step back. He's like, nope, I'm still paddling. We're not turning around. That's right. That's right. And even at the same time, his wife was yelling at him, blaming on him. Oh my God! Why did I take your word? Why do I believe you? Why do I let you talk me into leaving my home country, my village, my mom, my dad, my brother, sister, my whole family, and now we're just gonna be sink in the middle of Mekong River? Our children is gonna end here. It did not distract my dad. That man was never stop paddling the canoe. I think that's so true too, because with anything that's difficult, anyone's trying to accomplish, you know. Getting to and living in the last ten percent so hard and takes so much effort and energy, and it's almost like you're going to have people that say you are crazy, you are crazy for trying this, and like your dad was doing, it's just like 
uh, we're going forward. And I know this is the way, so we're just going to keep doing it. So what were you thinking in all this? Like you're sitting in a boat, your mom, she's having a little bit of a difficult time. Your dad seems pretty calm and collected. Where are you at in all this? I'm in the middle of the canoe, both hands on each side of the canoe and just cold and being wet from the waist down. And I was just scared. I was just scared. All I can do is stare at the reflect of the moon. And I would just like, I don't even remember do I said a pray, but I heard my mom said a pray. My mom just pick up the water. She look up into the sky and she just call onto angel, the guiding angel. Please don't let my children die. Please, you know, I want them to have a bright future. Give them a chance. Give them the opportunity to make it to America. I started to get very scared and panicking, but, you know, with my dad right beside me, I'm just so confident that with my dad, there's nothing going to happen to me. His whole demeanor is, is, even though you're scared, you're feeling confident because his the way he's approaching this whole thing. Yes. Daddy not going to let us die. You know, you have three children. You tell them, like, daddy's going to take care of you. Don't. Daddy's not going to let anything happen to you. I can't speak for the other sibling, but for me, like I said, I'm a daddy girl. Whatever daddy said is going to be done or is going to work. He's my hero. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams, We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. You're paddling, you're looking at the water, your mom's praying, your dad's paddling. What happens? Do you make it to the other side? We made it to the other side. And so the people that built the house along the river, they used that water to water their garden. And they will make like a staircase out of bamboo or wood down to so they can get a bucket of water and go. So that's where we hit. We hit some neighborhood people and Daddy patted the boat towards closer to the staircase, hold onto the staircase, trying to pull the boat closer. My middle sister jumped off the boat. She thought it was already a land, but it was a reflect of the water. It was just dark, but on one side is a shadow, it's dark, and one side is bright. So she got up, she fall into really deep. My older brother jumped after him. My dad grabbed my old brother pull all of them up and push us on the staircase. My mom have a little a two-year-old that was wrapped behind her. She carried a baby, climbed the staircase. 
me being that little, I might be exaggerating. It might be like 20 step up. It seems pretty deep, but remember, I was little. And, you know, my mom got up, we all got up. And then when we got all the way up, my daddy was still down. The behind my dad back was a four-year-old. He wrapped a four-year-old with his heavy soldier jacket that he had. It got all wet. He took, tried to move the baby and take the jacket out because with that water wet jacket, it's too heavy for him to climb up. He's already so tired. He had a four-year-old that was wrapped to him while he was paddling the boat across. Oh, man, that's rough. You can tell he was exhausted. But, you know, there's one really important thing that my dad need to get it out in the pocket of that jacket. What he did was he took the jacket out, get the paper, put it in his pants, and he kicked the canoe out of the way. He threw his jacket on the canoe and kicked the canoe out of the way. That way, by the time the sun comes up, the canoe will float long way. They can't trade us. Oh, okay. So he's covering his tracks now. Right, right, yeah. He has some papers in his coat. He takes those papers out of the coat. And then he throws the coat in the boat and sends the boat down the river. So when we were all up, Daddy found a little uh, stick and leaf, and he just make we were all cold. He make a little fire. Yeah, and everybody was sleeping. So in the morning, when the lady came, uh, the owner of the yard wake up. When she see us, when she see my dad, she got a little bit nervous. But when she come closer, she all see all these children, and then my dad speak Thai to her. And said that, ma'am, you know, don't be afraid. We are no harm. We are the refugee from Laos. We're searching for a camp. It's a rumor talking about, oh, if you can get into the refugee camp in Thailand, then you can go to America. And so to him, he was like, oh, yeah, we made it, you know. We're in Thai now. We're, we're Thailand. We're good to go. We're safe. Yes, we're good to go. We just need to get somebody to lead us to the refugee camp. Just need to get to the refugee camp. And he thought it was that simple. So he told the lady to call the police. Because, you know, what do the law enforcement do with the illegal, with the immigrant? They took them somewhere. And so we're thinking they're going to take us to the refugee camp. And that's where we want us to go. No, that was just the beginning. That was just the beginning. The lady gave us some banana and sticky rice and we have water and we kind of held our hunger a little bit when the police came with the van. I guess they were police. We assumed they were police, but they were not police. They took us and they were just in the car in that van with no window. Oh, it seems like all day, all night. We get nauseous, get car sick and... We got to a certain place, that place before the sunset. It was just a few hours before the sunset. They got us out of the van. They throw us in this room, gave us white sheet, said, take all your clothes out. And they strip us down and give us a sheet. And they basically robbed us, took everything. There's My mom had cash, some jewelry, some uh, looming material made out of silk that she think once we get into the refugee camp, she can sell it and for us to get some food or, you know. No, they took it all. They took it all. Every single worth valuable thing. 
and they just throw us in this room. They say put them on the boat and send them back to their country. We don't have food. Our government don't have money to take care of y'all. Y'all need to go back home. You're in this house. You've just crossed the river. You think that you're calling the police. You think the police are going to show up. You get into this van that you think might be the police, should be the police. Turns out to be essentially robbers <laughs> who completely take you back to their hideout, throw you in a room, and completely take everything you got. And then threaten to send you back to where you just came from with nothing. You know what my dad, he know what's going to happen. There's no way that his government's going to take him back. You know, there's no way. He said death only. You know, imagine you'd be lucky if they just kill you. You know, more likely they're going to torture you and beat you and do everything. So my dad already know because he's already been in that kind of situation. He's like, no, we're not going back home. And this again, we're not stepping walk backward. I'm not walking backward. I'm not going backward. I'm going forward. If I'm stepping forward and step on the man and I die, I'd rather do that. He refused to do that. He said, all oh, my kid, we're going to America. We are not going back to Laos. The argument where they refused to do anything other than death. So his wish was death. He's like, yeah, if that's the only choice that y'all can do, we'd rather die here than go back. And he told them that. They said, we're going to send you back. And he said, no, we'd rather you just kill us here than rather than send us back. And he told them that. That's right. He told them that. He told them that. But me thinking that Tom, you know, being that age and thinking, okay, my dad, my dad was just bluffing. You know, looking in the human being, I, a human eye, you think that they can really going to kill you? Really going to execute you? I never thought in one bit in my mind that it's going to be real. You thought they were like, okay, okay, all right, well, we'll let you go. You kind of thought that's what was coming. Well, I thought that they were threatening us and they were going to kill us if we don't go back. I thought that was just a threat. Like, it, no matter what, they're not going to do what they said. You know, I just don't believe in a human that could possibly do that. And I was really young. I didn't believe that. And so when they say, okay, well, how about we just take care of them? Make sure we covered up everything, you know, bury them and take care of them by the morning. You know, they ordered a man just like, and my dad have a nerve to turn around and pleads to them where he want all of us to be blindfolded and bury in the same hole. So he's giving them instructions on if they're going to murder your family, how he wants them to do it. He's just saying, look, this is how I want to do it. Let's put it in the same place and put blindfold. That's incredible. That's insane. That's just, uh, that's amazing. Unbelievable. If that's your wish, then, you know, the man just order his work, dig the hole. They put us in the cage where we can see them digging the hole before the sunset. They're digging the hole all the way and to make big hole enough to like, it's going to cover a family of seven with a pregnant woman. And being that this point, you remember, we eat since this morning, you know, and this is like late night already. We eat banana and sticky rice and we were hungry. Well, imagine my pregnant mom and the two little one. We were eating by ants 
by fire ant, by mosquito, by any kind of bug, because we're outdoor. We're just in the little metal cage that you put the bird in. You're on the ground, and you just, at this point, you got no hope. You are so hopeless. Where well, I can see my dad and my mom. At this point, there was no argument, no blame. I think my mom was just like, okay, this is it. And my dad, you can see, even though my mom don't say anything to him, don't blame him, his teary eye can tell me that I fell my children, I fell my family. I just don't know how he can hold up by that point, you know? I mean, it's just utter hopelessness. You're in a cage with your family, watching them dig a hole that they're going to put you in after they murder you and the rest of your family. and. You have no money. You have no weapons. You have nothing. You have nothing. That is hopeless. That's a hopeless place to be. I cannot imagine how, is there any plan in his head that is, to me, the fate, his fate is just said, you know, that's, that's it. I use all 100%. So now I'm at the 99.1. You know, that 1%, it's just a matter of when the sunrise, we're all going to be dead. But then something happens. What happens? Yes, a miracle happened. You know, it's just like a story where God just said, you know what? I'm not done with you yet. And me, when I wrote this book, I actually wrote that where God's talking to me. I'm not ready for Elizabeth to come home. Elizabeth needs to know about me. You know, I grew up Buddhism. I don't know God. Maybe Jesus said, let's save this young lady and her family. Let's save her so she have opportunity to get to know me and love me. And then, you know, just that's how I feel, Dallas, when I become Christian. So that night, really late, and there was a little guard, a little guy that was guarding. It was his ship. He was a young guy. My little brother half fever after all mosquito hungry and just hot and just tired he cried nonstop. once in a while you hear this guy this mean commander call out say just choke his neck just break his neck shut him off like just shut that sound because he was yelling crying and just so frustrated after everybody gone sleep that little guy that was watching us came closer to my dad and just talked See, we can speak Thai. My dad can speak Thai. My dad actually half-half, Thai and Laos. His dad is Laos. His mom is Thai. And my dad, that little man said, what can I do for you? I mean, can I bring a water for your little boy? And my dad said, yes, please, just water will help a lot. He's, he's just having high fever. He bring a little water and he sit down next to the cage and just talk to my dad. And they were just talking. I fall asleep every once in a while, dozed out, and then hear a murmuring, talking like the bug in your ear, you know, and fall asleep. Well, the next thing I know was the sun is up now. Yeah, this is the time. Are we really going to die? Are they really going to execute us? In my mind, was I hear men walking, and there was sound from far away walking towards us, and I was like, this is it. This I just can't imagine how we get us out or they're going to shoot us. 
one at a time, you know, all through my mind, I think, and I was just scared. I don't want to die yet. I'm only nine years old. But no, it was opposite. When the group of men got there, they just pointing fingers. So I opened up the cage and let us out. And we, instead of be executed, followed the man home. You're in the cage. And I can't even wrap my mind around a nine-year-old girl being locked in a cage with her family. And the first thing you see when you see the sunrise is this is it. How are they going to execute us? Yeah, in my mind, I was more trying to paint the picture. How are they going to do it? Were they going to kill me first or my sibling first? Uh, my dad said blindfold us. And I, I'm like, okay, are they going to see it? Or are they just going to blindfold all of us? You know, it, it just, it's scary. It's just incredible. I mean, I, I can't, you know, you just can't really take that in, you know, and it's just too intense. You know, it's just amazing. I couldn't imagine. I've got a daughter's fixing to turn nine. And just to think that that would cross her mind is mind blowing. So you say now all of a sudden the men get there and you're out. We out. We're following home. What happened? Well, it turned out that the little guy that was watching us overnight was talking to my dad. I guess my dad was opening up to him. Hey, why not? We're going to die anyway. So he just tell like, okay, he tell him that his mom was from Thailand and she's from here, from the village name. And it happened to be that that is the village that his mom was from. And so when the watch guy told him that the name of the village that he's from, my dad asked if he know this family, the name and the last name. And immediately that young man say, okay, I'm going to save your life. I'm going to go find this man. That man never gone to sleep. He went in the middle of that night to find the uncle's house, my dad's uncle. When you crossed the river, you got to a house and then you got into a van and they drove you hours and you don't know where they're driving you to. And it happens to be the village that your dad's mom is from or right beside the village that your dad's mom is from. And then that family is known by the guard at your cage. And he's like, I know your people. I'm going to go tell them and, and save your life. Yes. You can't just be a regular person either. The uncle, he couldn't possibly help us if he was poor and a nobody, but he was a somebody. Obviously they have money and he's like a little mayor of that little village, maybe a village leader or something like that. Cause he actually have power, you know, over them. He was like yelling, cussing at them. Like, you lock up my nephew and his family. You're going to lose your job. You're going to this, you're going to that. And he took us home and he explained it to my dad. You know, your mom and I, he said to my dad, were the, on the two kids. Your mom did not listen to your grandpa. She left and crossed the river to marry a Laos guy and your grandfather was not happy with it. So he, he was so upset that got in a fight. He said that I, you out of my, you, you no longer my daughter or whatever. But before the grandpa died, the grandpa do left the will for the son. It's like, if your sister ever returned, you give this to her, but she never returned. My grandma never returned to Thailand. She never returned, but the will of her father was left behind was left behind. We've been there two, three days now. 
I got to sleep. I got to take a shower. And Dallas, you mean I'm not sleeping on the dirt. I was sleeping on the hardwood floor, 15 foot above the ground. You know, that's how they built the house. So I was ready. I I was like, oh, my God, we're going to be rich. I mean, we are eating. We're actually eating food on the plate, you know. A man of a nine-year-old. What else can you think other than eat, sleep, and be comfortable? You know, I'm ready to settle. That's it. (laughs) You're ready. You have crossed the river. You've been in a cage. You've just come from a concentration camp for two years that you'd known since you were seven. And now instead of eating bugs and laying in the dirt in a cage, thinking you're going to get killed the next morning, you're in a wealthy home, you know, showered and cleaned up, eating well. And there's a will that's given you and your family an opportunity to stay. Yes. Live the good life. And he didn't take it. (laughs) And the land and the money that was offered to my dad, his whole life will never have that kind of wealth. And he didn't take it. He said, no, I appreciate all you keep it. You put me on the bus tomorrow morning. I wanted to take my kid to America. I was so mad. I was like, dad, here we are. It's nothing compared to a grass house and a dirt. To me, it was very, very rich. But, you know, they have the generator for the power and they have pump for the water, you know. I'm just like ready to settle. But yeah, that morning, I remember saying goodbye to the great uncle and his face got smaller and smaller as the bus go far. And that was the last of, don't know how to contact each other. He ride another all day. And the rule is you got to check in and go to prison as a refugee. And that was the procedure. So you got to go to the capital and you go into the courthouse and there is a big jailhouse that collect all the refugee. Nam, Chinese, Cambodian, Laos, you know, all those refugees in, in one whole cell, big whole house. You know, your bathroom is a bucket, number one bucket, number four, number two bucket. You just lay side by side. And you left and you left this amazing house and situation. And then here we are back. And that is where I would like now your story. And if the listeners are out there and you think what she's just told is amazing, which it is amazing. There's so much, so many more details that she goes into that Elizabeth talks about in her book and from the concentration camp through all that and also what happens next, which is just as incredible as the story that you just told. I mean, the next part of the story is incredible, but I don't want you to say it here. I want our listeners to buy your book so that they can hear the next part of the story about the refugee and how we thought we'd made it to this point so that we were going to go to America. And that's not what happened. And all the twists and turns at refugee camp. So her book is My Journey to America, An Escape from Communist Laos. So I would encourage all our listeners to purchase Elizabeth's book on that. And so that you can read, because you really need to just take this in because it's amazing. And so I just want to thank you for 
taking some time to walk us through some of your story. It's so incredible. Oh my goodness. I just, there was so many things I really love. And I think when we talk about living in the last 10%, your dad and you, but you know, your dad's, the mindset that your dad has, I mean, there's so many valuable lessons that you've kind of, you know, talked through in your story. First, he is so focused because he could just see it. He saw a picture of taking his family to America and it was just so crystal clear to him that he could focus on that vision and just not get distracted, not to the left or to the right. And it's, it's amazing because he was not distracted when there was hardship. And you could say, okay, well, you know, of course he's not distracted by hardship. He doesn't want to stay in a hardship, but he was equally not distracted by wealth and opportunity. And it was another distraction just that you just got through telling him, hey, we've got this will. You can have property, land, money. And he's like, nope, not distracted by that either. And just was able to do exactly what you said in the beginning. It's like, we're not walking backwards. We're taking a step forward and we're not going back. And I just think if you're starting a business, you got to have that mentality. Like we're going to walk forward no matter what. We're walking forward. If you're raising a family, uh, having kids, if you're in a marriage, it's moving forward. Moving forward. Yes. If nothing come easy, and if we know that, then we can make it. Whether you're raising kids, beginning of your marriage, it's everything. It's from, you start from the beginning, two people put the mind together. And like my mom, my dad was the leader. And so she just, you know, follow him. She just know that, okay, this is our kid and you're going to find a better place and a better future for our kid. And so we're going to do it. We, we sacrifice together. That's awesome. We have learned. Thank you again for spending some time on the last 10%. I'm encouraged every time I hear your story. And I love your passion about being in America, coming to America. And it is so fun too. When you get to America, cracks me up when you talk about what it was like to actually come into the airport and all that. So I would encourage the listeners to buy Elizabeth's book to just read in her own words what that was like. If someone would want to get in touch with you in terms of speaking, how would they, uh, how would our listeners connect? They can connect with me at my email, elizabeth.grizard at gmail.com. And they can also go on the Facebook and I have a page that will direct them to buy my book, My Journey to America Escape from Laos. It's on that Facebook page. So go to Facebook, look Elizabeth up on Facebook. You can order the book there. You can contact her if you would like for her to come speak at your organization, your business, your church, and um, get in contact with her. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us on The Last 10%. And it's been so good to get to know you and also work with you in some of these leadership summits that we've done. It's just been great. And so uh, look forward to seeing you again and hearing you speak again. It's always a pleasure. And so thanks for being on The Last 10%. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.